0: Alright, so this is chapter 13 of uh, Mortal Engines, it is called The Resurrected Man. In the Dark Ages, before the dawn of the Traction Era, nomad empires had battled one another across the volcano maze of Europe. It was they who had built the Stalkers, dragging dead warriors off the battlefields and bringing them back to a sort of life by wiring weird old tech machines into their nervous systems. The empires were long forgotten, but terrible resurrected men were not. Tom could remember playing at being one when he was a child in the guild orphanage, stomping about with his arms held out straight in front of him shouting, I am a stalker, exterminate! Until Miss Plym came and told him to keep the noise down. But he had never expected to meet one. As the stolen balloons scudded eastward on the night wind, he sat shuddering in the swaying basket, twisted sideways so that Hester wouldn't see the wet stain on his breeches, and said, I thought they all died hundreds of years ago. I thought they were all destroyed in battles, or went mad, or and tore themselves apart. Not Shrike, said Hester. And he knew you. Of course he did, she said. We're old friends, Shrike and me. She had met him the morning after her parents died, the morning when she woke up on the shores of the hunting ground in the whispering rain. She had no idea how she came to be there, and the pain in her head was so bad that she could barely move or think. Drawn up nearby was the smallest, filthiest town that she had ever seen. People with big wicker baskets on their backs were coming down out of it. On ladders and gang planks, and sifting through the flotsam on the tide line before returning with their baskets full of scrap and driftwood, a few were carrying her father's rowboat away, and it wasn't long before some of them discovered Hester. Two men came and looked down at her. One was a typical scavenger, small and filthy, with bits of an old bug piled on his back. After he had peered at her for a while, he stepped back and said to his companion. "'Sorry, Mr. Shrike. I thought she might be one for your collection, but she's flesh and blood, all right.' He turned and stumped away across the steaming garbage, losing all interest in Hester. He only wanted stuff he could sell, and there was no value in a half-dead child. Old bug tires, now those were worth something. The other man stayed where he was, looking down at Hester.' It was only when he reached down and touched her face that she felt the cold iron beneath his gloves that she realized he was not really a man at all. When he spoke, his voice sounded like wire a wire brush scraped across a blackboard. You can't stay here, child, he said, and picked her up and slung her over his shoulder and took her aboard the town. It was called Stroll and it was home to 50 tough, dust-hardened scavengers who robbed old tech sites when they could find them and scrounged salvage from the leavings of larger towns when they could not. Shrike lived with them, but he was no scavenger. When criminals from one of the great traction cities escaped into the outcountry, Shrike would track them down and cut off their heads, which he carefully preserved. When he crossed that city's path again, he would take the head to the authorities, and collect his reward. Why he bothered to rescue her, Hester did not discover. It could not have been out of pity, for he had none. The only sign of tenderness she ever saw in him was when he busied himself with his collection. He was fascinated by old automata and mechanical toys, and he would buy any that passing scavengers brought to him. His ramshackle quarters in Stroll were full of them, Animals, knights in armor, clockwork soldiers with keys in their backs, even a life-size angel of death pulled from some elaborate clock. But his favorites were all women or children, beautiful ladies in moth-eaten gowns and pretty girls and boys with porcelain faces. All night long Shrike would patiently dismantle and repair them, exploring the intricate escapements of their hearts as if searching for some clue to the workings of his own. Sometimes it seemed to Hester that she, too, was part of his collection. Did she remind him of the wounds that he had suffered on the battlefields of Forgotten Wars when he had still been human? She shared his home for five long years, while her face healed badly into the permanent ruined scowl and her memories came slowly back to her. Some were starting startlingly clear. The waves on the shores of Oak Island, her mom's voice, The moor wind with its smell of wet grass and the dung of animals. Others were murky and hard to understand. They flashed into her mind just as she was falling asleep or caught her unawares while she wandered amongst the silent mechanical figures in Shrike's house. Blood on the star charts, a metallic noise, a man's long handsome face with sea gray eyes. They were broken shards of memory and they had to be carefully collected and pieced together just like the bits of machinery the scavengers dug up. It was not until she overheard some men telling stories about the great Thaddeus Valentine that she started to make sense of it all. She found that she recognized that name. It was the name of the man who had killed her mom and dad and turned her into a monster. She knew what she had to do without even having to think about it. She went to Shrike and told him she wanted to go after Valentine. "'You must not,' was all the stalker said. "'You'll be killed.' "'Then come with me,' she had pleaded, but he would not. "'He had heard about London and about Magnus Crome's love of technology. "'He thought that if he went there, the Guild of Engineers would overpower him "'and cut him into pieces to study in their secret laboratories. "'You must not go,' was all that he would say. "'So she went anyway, waiting till he was busy with his automata,' then slipping out of a window and out of Stroll and setting off across the wintry outcountry with a stolen knife in her belt in search of London and revenge. "'I've never seen him since that,' she told Tom, shivering in the basket of the stolen balloon. "'Stroll was down on the shores of the English Sea when I left, but here Shrike is, working for Magnus Chrome and wanting to kill me. It doesn't make sense.' Maybe you hurt his feelings when you ran away, suggested Tom. Shrike doesn't have feelings, said Hester. They cleaned all of his memories and feelings away when they made a stalker of him. She sounds as if she envies him, Tom thought. But at least the sound of her voice had helped to calm him, and he had stopped shaking. He sat and listened to the wind sigh through the balloon's rigging. There was a black stain on the western clouds that he thought must be the smoke from Airhaven. Had the aviators managed to get the fires under control, or had their town been destroyed? And what about Anna Fang? He realized that Shrike had probably murdered her, along with her friends. That kind, laughing aviatrix was dead, as dead as his own parents. It was as if there was a curse on him that destroyed everybody who was kind to him. If only he had never met Valentine. If only he had stayed safely in the museum where he belonged. She might be all right, said Hester suddenly as if she had guessed what he was thinking about. I think Shrike was just playing with her. He didn't have his claws out or anything. He's got claws? As long as she didn't annoy him too much, he probably wouldn't waste time killing her. What about Airhaven? I suppose if it's really badly damaged, it'll put down somewhere for repairs. Tom nodded. Then a happy thought occurred to him. "'Do you think Miss Fang will come after us?' "'I don't know,' said Hester, "'but Shrike will.' "'Tom looked over his shoulder again, horrified. "'Still,' she said, "'at least we're heading in the right direction for London.' "'He peered gingerly over the edge of the basket. "'The clouds lay below them "'like a white eider-down uh, drawn across the land, "'hiding anything that might give a clue "'as to where they were or where they were going. "'How can you tell?' He asked. From the stars, of course, said Hester. Mum showed me. She was an aviator, too, remember? She'd been all over the place. She even went to America once. You have to use the stars to find your way in places like that where they don't have charts or landmarks. Look, that's the pole star, and that constellation is what the ancients used to call the Great Bear, but most people nowadays call it the City." And if we keep that one to starboard, we'll know we're heading northeast. There's so many, he said, trying to follow her pointing finger. Here above the clouds, without veils of city smoke and outcountry dust to hide it, the night sky sparkled with a million cold points of light. I never knew there were so many stars before. They're all suns, burning away far out in space, thousands and thousands of miles away said Hester, and Tom had the feeling that she felt proud to show him how much she knew. Except for the ones that aren't really stars at all. Some of the really bright ones are mechanical moons that ancients put up into orbit thousands of years ago, still circling and circling the poor old Earth. Tom stared up at the glittering dark. And what's that one? He asked, pointing to a bright star low in the west. Hester looked at it, and her smile faded away. He saw her hands clench into fists. "'That one?' she said. "'That's an airship, and it's coming after us.' "'Perhaps Miss Fang has come to rescue us?' said Tom hopefully. But the distant airship was gaining quickly, and in another few minutes they could see that it was a small London-built scout ship, a Spudbury Sunbeam, or a Goss Hawk 90. They could almost feel Shrike's green eyes watching them across the desert, uh, deserts of the sky." Hester started fumbling with the rusty wheels and levers that controlled the gas pressure in the balloon. After a few seconds, she found the one she wanted, and a fierce hiss came from somewhere overhead. What are you doing? squeaked Tom. You'll let the gas out and we'll crash. I'm hiding us from Shrike, said the girl, and she opened the valve still farther. Looking up, Tom saw the gas bag start to sag. He glanced back at the pursuing airship. It was gaining, but it was still a few miles away. Hopefully, from that distance, it would look as if some accident had struck the balloon. Hopefully, Shrike would not guessed, guess Hester's plan. Hopefully, his little ship was not armed with rocket projectors. And then they sank down into the clouds and could see nothing but swirly dark billows and sometimes a quick glimpse of the moon scuttling dimly above them. The basket creaked and the envelope flapped, and the gas valve hissed like a touchy snake. "'When we touch down, get out of the basket as quick as you can,' said Hester. "'Yes,' he said, and then, "'But you mean we're going to leave the balloon?' "'We don't stand a chance against Shrike in the air,' she explained. "'Hopefully on the ground I can outwit him.' "'On the ground?' cried Tom. "'Oh, not the outcountry again?' The balloon was sinking fast. They saw the black landscape looming up below. "'Dark blots of vegetation and a few thin glimmers of moonlight. "'Overhead, thick clouds were racing into the east. "'There was no sign of Shrike's airship. "'Tom braced himself. "'The ground was a hundred feet below, then fifty, then ten. "'Branches came rattling and scraping along the keel, "'and the basket bucked and plunged, crashing, "'crashing against the muddy earth "'and leaping up into the sky and down again and up. "'Jump!' screamed Hester. The next time it touched down, he jumped, falling through the scratchy branches into a soft mattress of mud. The balloon shot upward again, and for a moment he was afraid that Hester had abandoned him to perish on the bare earth. Hester! he shouted, so loud that it hurt his throat. Hester! And then there was a rustling in the scrub, away to his left, and she was limping toward him. Oh, thank quark, he whispered. He expected her to stop and sit down with him to rest a while and thank the gods for dropping them onto soft, wet earth instead of hard stone. Instead, she walked right past him, limping away toward the northeast. "'Stop!' shouted Tom, still too winded and shivery to even stand. "'Wait! Where are you going?' She looked back at him as if he were mad. "'London!' she said. Tom rolled onto his back and groaned, gathering his strength for another weary trek." Above him, freed of their weight, the balloon was returning to the sky, a dark teardrop that was quickly swallowed into the belly of the clouds. A few moments later, he heard the purr of engines as Shrike's airship went hurrying after it. Then, there were only the night and the cold wind, and the rags of moonlight prowling the broken hills.